Uh, I do have one request. Can you guys get a little rowdy on me today? I need some rowdy. I need a little rowdy. Earlier today, I mean, the early service was really good, but it wasn't quite rowdy enough for me. And so I like, I like, I just got to admit, I like rowdy. So anyway. All right. So today we're starting a new series. I've, I've been, uh, I've been looking forward to this series all year. And um, I'm, I'm not kidding. This is, in fact, most of the series before this were preparation for this one. And uh, the title is Like a Son. The point of the whole series is that we, as the body of Christ, learn to live like a son of our Father. And the reason I, um, the reason I want that to happen, the reason I pray for that, the reason this message is happening, I think John captures it in his epistle in John 3, 3, when he said, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we'll see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he's pure. Here John just kind of lays out this idea of us not knowing what we really are, even though we know it's good. And today, I think the church is under... It was on. It's on now. Okay, it was on. I don't know. My my mouth uh, shuts off electronics. Anyway, so... So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. We live in a world today that's um, where that idea is under assault. This idea that you're a son or a daughter of God, this idea that you're a Christian, uh, that there's more to you than meets the eye, it's just under assault in every way possible. But it's actually under assault in the church in a big way. Christians are kind of hard on each other. They kind of assault each other, so to speak. You know, it's easy to complain, right? Isn't that what social media is all about? What everyone's ticked about, right? That's what I get out of it. I mean, like everybody's mad and everyone's complaining. How many of you love complainers? You're like, I just saw my circle right there. I just love to hang out with complainers. No answers. You guys have been hanging out with complainers this week, haven't you? I can tell. So I don't like complainers. I don't like people who point out the problems and don't ever look for solutions. I don't like people who point out the problems and then come up with solutions that only they can control. I don't like those either. And so that's kind of going on in the church, though. You get together with a bunch of preachers typically. What they're going to do is they're going to complain about what's not happening in the body of Christ and how they're not growing and how... And all that complaining does, but in case you want to know, and the next time you want to beat yourself up about your own complaining, because we all do it, is it pushes the responsibility off of us and onto somebody else. We, it's about not being personally responsible for something. And that's kind of the issue. If you ask me in our world today, that's a big issue. Maybe I'll do a sermon series on that. No one will come to it, but maybe one day I'll do one on personal responsibility. So I want to address something that is in the church today in a big way, and I want to try and, and, and change the way you look at it. Okay, are you ready? This should create some conversation. If this, so when we're done today, I hope that you'll like have coffee with somebody or sit down with your spouse or, or get a friend or something and talk about this message because I am trying to create indigestion for you. I am trying to do that, okay? Is it okay? Like, I don't like indigestion. Well, so right now, one of the common things we say among in church right now in, in Christianity is that we're all just sinners saved by grace that's a common expression that we use and it's true okay you you are sinners saved by grace but that's not all you are and i've said that before but i want to show you why this matters and you need to understand why this is really really important because until you leave the sinner behind you will never live like a son of god okay this is really important, okay? So we do this. In fact, I had a friend this week, had a very good devotional post he put on 
on Facebook, and you know, I read it, but he, he had this claim right in the middle of it. He said, it, he said, it should not surprise us that we find ourselves in sin. And, I, and it gave me heartburn. That gave me heartburn. Because I'm telling you, if you can jump from sinner to son, it will start surprising you. And I'll tell you why. Okay? Now, the Bible has all kinds of, um, you know, Paul, Paul talks about the church collectively in a whole lot of ways. He calls us uh, the elect. Well, Peter calls us the elect. Paul calls us the faithful brothers. John calls us the beloved. So when he speaks of the church collectively, these are the names that are in the letters that, in reference to us. Paul calls us the children of God. Peter calls us a holy nation. But most of all, what they call the church collectively in the letters, though that's the, the books of the Bible after Acts, 61 times the writers of those letters call us saints collectively. Okay? Never... That I know of. Now you can you might correct my theology at some point, but never do I know of in those letters do the apostles call us the children of God collectively sinners. Never calls us that. Now a lot of folks though we take comfort in that idea that we're just sinners saved by grace, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Because, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I'm getting choked up again. I think I'm allergic to Jason. That's probably what it is. They'll, they'll, they'll go to this passage in 1 Timothy 1.15 where Paul says this. He says, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hyphen. Of whom, and I am the worst of them all. Sorry, I, it's still the King James in the back of my head. The point of the verse is that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Okay? But Paul has this little addendum on the end. He says, I'm the worst of them all. Okay? Now we take that to mean, oh my gosh, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace, and so therefore no matter how the bad things I do, that's just normal for someone like me, okay? So what you're doing though is you're taking a verse out of context. We talk about this a lot in church. You can take anyone out of context and make them say anything you want them to say. They do that on the news every single day, okay? So, but if you put that verse back in the paragraph it belongs in, this is what it says. Even though... I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted His people. But God had mercy on me because I did it out of ignorance and unbelief. And how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and the love that come from Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone can, should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. You put it in context, and you see that Paul is talking about what he was, not what he is. Now, why does this matter? I'll tell you why it matters. And this is super, super important. <clears throat> if you're a sinner who sins, that's normal. That's what sinners do. Sinners sin. They do dumb things. They make mistakes. They do wrong things. If you're a sinner who sins, that's normal. If you're a son who sins, that's a problem. Does that make sense? Why is that a problem? Because the day you placed your faith in Christ, God said through the prophet Ezekiel that you got a new heart. Paul said you became a new creation. He also said what was old was put done away with. And he said that he was crucified with Christ and taught us that we are as well. That means that the old is done. It's over. 
And so the sinner in you is nailed to a cross with Jesus Christ. Yeah, you hear his voice. Paul certainly dealt with sin in saints. Okay? He said in Romans 7, 17, I'm not the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. 7, 20, I do what I don't want to do. I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. And you put that all back in context in Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you find out that Paul lays the sin problem of saints uh, on the backs of sin, on the law, and on works. Us trying to make God happy in our own strength. And then he goes into Romans 8 and talks about how living in the Spirit changes all of those things. So what I want you to do, why this series matters so much to me, is because I want the children of God to start living like sons of God. Now before you get all gender upset about that, okay? And I know you would never do that because you love me and are really patient with me. Uh, I hope. But anyway, every Christian is the bride of Christ and a son of God. So there's both your genders wrapped up, Okay? And so as a bride of Christ, we know what it is to be pursued and loved by a, a, a pursuer, a lover. And the church has talked about that to a greater extent than they've talked about the rest a son has and the authority that a son has, which is what this series is about. So we're looking at a different, and we're going to focus on living like a son, that part of what it is mentally to be a Christian. So God has got to transform our minds. We've got to move on. We've got to transition in our hearts from sinner, barely saved by grace, capable of the worst evil, to son, saint, someone who has the power of God in them. Why? Because Jesus Christ, and this is a thought I would love for you to discuss at great length, Jesus Christ is first and foremost a son of His Father. Listen to His talking. Listen to how He talks about in all the Gospels. He makes a big deal, not about being the Messiah, but about being a son. In Romans 12, Paul makes it clear, we're being transformed into what Christ is. Okay? So we've got those minds. We've got to pursue that in the thought. So today, we're going to jump into Luke chapter 15. We're going to talk about it all month long, for the most part. We're going to look at different characters in the story. This week, we're going to look at the orphan son. You know him as the prodigal. Next week, we'll look at the slave son. You know him as the older brother. The third week, we're going to look at the Father Himself, and your mind is going to get blown. And in the fourth week, we're going to look at practically what it means to live like a son. All of this coming out, we're going to spend all four weeks primarily on the same passage. I'm actually really excited about that, because I'm going to get to flip that thing over and pull a lot of good stuff out of it, okay? So you ready? All right, some of you guys are ready, and that's, that's very motivated. I'm so happy. All right. So an orphan is not like a son. For a lot of reasons. Let's read the story. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Pause. Dads, how would you like that question? I would like to live like you're dead while you're not dead. Anyway, so, some of you may have heard that question. Anyway, so, his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. We're going to dig into that in a few weeks, so just put that on the back burner. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. 
but no one gave him any. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I have, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring in the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that's been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Good story? Amen. It's a word of God. Yeah, go ahead. Applaud it, man. Need to read it more. We're going to get into it a lot this month, okay? So I want to think about the orphan. I want to talk, and I'm going to speak to the orphan spirit. And I am going to hit you. You may not be honest about whether or not I got you or not, but I am going to ding you on occasion, okay? You're going to see yourself in the prodigal in ways that may make you feel comfortable, but don't worry because this message is about coming home. It's not about staying lost. It's not about feeling guilty. It's about coming home. So I want to think about the prodigal for a bit. And I want to see how, what we share with him and we'll begin with this idea of the, the orphan. We're going to call him the orphan. The orphan spirit. As we'll get into and what he was like. And so what are orphans like from a biblical perspective? I'm talking about orphans who don't know their heavenly father. Well, orphans are like this. Orphans start by wanting what they deserve. Orphans want what they deserve. When we first meet the son, the orphan, who's not, not a son in his heart, when we first meet the orphan, he's standing in front of his father. And he's demanding that he get his share of the father's inheritance now. This is where we first meet this young man. He has the goal to stand in front of dad and say, hey, I wish you were dead. Can I have your money? I mean, really bold, really loud, really just an obnoxious kid. Not like yours. Yours aren't obnoxious at all. So anyway, I don't want to waste my time waiting on you to die, dad. I can hear all this in his voice. I want to be my own man. I hear that because I said that to my own father. Um, I want to be. I want to be. This is the cry of his mouth. I want to be fatherless. I want to be father to myself. I want you to capture how awful this conversation is, how bad it is. And I, I want you to see this heart that produced these horrible words. But, but as you think about that, I also want you to think about another son. Uh, who was an orphan, and it was a guy named Adam, the first son, the first man, Adam. And Adam, who God had given everything, created a world for Adam to live in, created a way for Adam to sustain himself, a way for Adam to express his creativity and have dominion in the world, and a way for Adam to live his entire life in relationship with a father. And yet Adam rejected that. And Adam is just like our prodigal son, our orphan son. He wanted the father's stuff that he had not earned and somehow convinced himself that he deserved what the father earned. And so all of mankind is the orphan. 
is my point. And so dealing with the orphan spirit is an orphan is a problem for all of us. Not just some of us who are struggling with insecurity, but all of us have places in our heart that we have no father for. We've tried to be fathers to ourselves. That's what Adam did for us. And so the son, even in this scenario, even our first verse, and we'll get into the love of the father later, but in this first verse, you see how kind the father is. The father just does it. He just divides the inheritance. And I know some of your parent uh, bone uh, is going off in there. You're like, oh, no, you can't enable the child. I hear, I hear what you're saying. But the father had a reason we'll get into. Because the father is good. You know, David said this in Psalm 68, just a tip back to the father before I get back in the orphan. He says the that God is the father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. This is God who's dwelling this holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. I just don't want you to lose sight of how good the father is, even though the son, this orphan, is so demanding. What does it have to do with you, though? You see, this I want what I deserve peace of the orphan spirit is where the world lives. Everyone wants what they quote-unquote deserve. Everyone wants what's mine, uh, even if what's mine isn't something I actually deserve. I hear people say all the time things like, well, I don't deserve this. They're going through something hard, a trial, dealing with something. And they say, I don't deserve this. And that's the orphan spirit. Because the orphan is crying out. He wants it to be, he wants to be worthy. Which is why the son struggled so much with his worth. It's the basis for karma, the idea of karma, which is a new age thinking. That basically, when I was a kid, they said it this way: what goes around comes around. But karma is that idea that there will eventually be justice in the world. And it's why it's so popular, not, not only in the New Age world, but in the church today. This idea of this some kind of uh, personified justice is out there. I call it, or I think it's this groaning. I think it's the orphan spirit that's groaning for God to make things right, but it, they don't know what it is. Paul said in Romans 8, we know that all creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I think all the whining and complaining I hear on the social media, people mad about this, demanding justice for things they don't understand in any way, I think it's just orphans groaning for a father. That's just what the orphan heart sounds like. The orphan wants what it deserves, even if it doesn't deserve it, even if there's no reason to expect such goodness. The orphan also wants distance. This young man, this orphan spirit, packed up his stuff as soon as he got the money, and he split. He wanted away from the father. He did not want the father telling him what to do. He didn't want the father speaking into his life. He didn't want accountability to the father. He wanted to be his own man. And so he split, and he puts big distance between him and the Father God. He may not have known everything he wanted in his life other than to have fun, but he knew what he did not want. He did not want Dad. He did not want a father standing over him, telling him what to do, which is ironic because there are things the orphan does want. The orphan spirit wants to be blessed, wants things to go well wants to be happy. 
wants to have self-pride and success and, and happiness in life. In fact, the orphan spirit believes it deserves, deserves all of those things, deserves them. They're my right to what I should have. I deserve the good life. I deserve to get to do what I want. And then I deserve that when I die, no matter how I live, I should get to go to heaven and experience eternal reward. That's the orphan spirit. But the orphan doesn't want the father. Doesn't want relationship. Sure doesn't want to glorify God. Because the orphan spirit wants all the glory. Look at me. See me. Here's my picture. Give me some likes. Make me happy. It's all about me. The orphan spirit struggles with the most powerful word ever, grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving you things you don't deserve. Empowering you to do things you can't do. You see, grace is about a gift. And the orphan will never have enough strength to earn or deserve or be worthy in themselves ever. You see, the prophet said in Isaiah to God about God, God, you welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. You see, the orphan is okay with that verse. Because in that verse, they, they see something they can earn. If I'm good, I'll get what I deserve from God. If I can just you know, be good enough. But the problem is in Isaiah is that Isaiah saw clearly that we, but you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. We, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. The orphan just cannot understand that his best is garbage. His best is corruption. The, the, the hardest he works comes to nothing. And so it's frustrating. And the orphan lives in a world fighting over the world's scraps. There's only one place where new things come from, and it's the kingdom. Not this world. This world is an ever-dwindling reality. God created it. He got it going. He gave dominion of it to Adam. Adam handed it over to Satan. And ever since then, it's been winding out on its own, in a sense, under our domain. But he's still available to it, the world's wasting away, and that's the heart of the orphan, always trying to gather more of dwindling supply. That's why it's never enough. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 15, do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But everyone who does what pleases God will live forever. This is, this is life in Orphanville. This is what the average human being lives under today. Never enough. Struggling for more. Wanting justice for everyone else, but deserving mercy themselves. You can see the hypocrisy in all of it. You can see why, why the world can get to be an angry and bitter place so quickly. 
Yeah. The orphan heart, she ain't pretty. She's very lonely. Desperately needs a father, but doesn't want one. What's the orphan need? The orphan needs to wake up. The orphan needs an epiphany, a new vision of God, a new understanding of who God is. And that's what happens to the young man in our story. We walk with him into the father's office as he makes his stupid demands. We follow him down that road as he heads away, putting as much distance between dad and him as possible. And there we are alongside of him as he's in the bars and in the dance halls and all the things that he's doing to squander all of those gifts of the father. But then that all ends in a place, a place that many of us have been to, a pig pen, a place of brokenness, the bottom of the barrel, the end of ourselves, whatever you call it, it goes somewhere. Sooner or later, you get the fruits of your choices if you stay away from the household. And that's what happens to the son. He wakes up and he's starving. This rich kid with a silver spoon in his mouth, who spent his, his whole life doing anything he wanted and everything he wanted under the father's domain and authority, now he's on his own and he's starving. And I want to remind you that that ever-dwindling world that's out there will never satisfy. You will never make enough money. You will never have enough relationships. You will never fill your mind with enough pictures or images of the things that you want to see. You'll never travel enough. It's never going to be enough because you are not created to live in this world alone. You were created to, to thrive from the kingdom in this world, not just only in this world. It will never be enough. The resources are dwindling. And sooner or later, you'll wake up and you'll be starving. So the orphan's got to realize, this isn't working. This isn't what I wanted. This isn't where I wanted to go. The orphan says, I'm hungry. I'm starving. The orphan says, I'm lonely. There's that place in all of you nobody can get to. That place that you go to sleep at night, you try to go to sleep at night, and it's that place that starts talking to you, that dark, lonely place that no one can get to. That's the heart of the orphan all by himself, a heart without a father. How desperate we are. If you were honest with yourself, you'd have to admit we are desperate for connection. We are desperate to belong. We are desperate to be known. And there's nothing in this life that equals it. There's no, you can't get enough belonging or connection in any group or any community in this world that's going to meet that dark place inside of you. Because yes, we desperately need to be known, but we are terrified of being known. So rather than let people know who we really are, we hold up this mask in front of who we are and we, say, we tell them who we wish we were. And so they get to know who we wish we were because we're terrified that if we ever let, no one who, let someone know who we really are, they will reject us because we have been rejected. And it stinks and we don't like it. And we're afraid to be rejected in our deepest person. That's the orphan spirit that's inside of you crying out, know me, but stay away. That orphan heart is starving and lonely and without identity. The, prob the biggest problem about not having is that you will never know who you are until you know your father. We live in a world that eats identities like cotton candy. Marketing doesn't even sell products anymore. It sells an identity. 
Apple doesn't sell phones. It sells cool. That's right. Thank you. They sell identity. Why? Because the orphan heart will never know who it is. Never know. And so, because it doesn't have a father, you see, it takes a father to tell you who you are. It takes a father to give you a start in life. It takes a father to, to train you in the family business, so to speak. Does that make sense? It all comes from the Father. Without that, you're on your own. I'll never forget uh, growing up in my teenagers, especially, I would go through hard times, and occasionally my dad and I would have a father-son talk. You ever have father-son talk with your dad? Um, my family was pretty goofy, so my talks were a little weird, but, um, and I, I'm happy to say I carried on that tradition. But um, I remember being able to sit across from my dad, and my dad would say, son, I understand. I've been there. Here's what I learned. I walked away from many of those and did not take my father's lesson to heart. I wish I had. My young life would have been so much better. But that aside, if you don't have a father, if you don't have God as your father, you don't have the opportunity for those spiritual talks. And you're like, I don't think God's been where I have. He has through Jesus, but that's another sermon, okay? So the orphan needs to wake up to these realities. He just needs to have an epiphany. I don't know where you're at right now in this sermon. I'm, I'm about to, we're about to get into the happy part of this, which I'm ready for. I don't know about you. But before I do, I might have just described exactly how you feel. Or maybe I just got kind of close. You see, this sermon isn't for, for you church folks. This sermon isn't for the saved and unsaved or saved and lost. Th this isn't about that. Granted, any person who hasn't placed their faith in Christ is definitely living as an orphan. But so many believers have had their defining moment but have not had their minds transformed from a sinner to a son. And so this sermon isn't about saved or lost. This sermon's about coming home. This sermon's about finding out that you are far from home and that the aches and the cries of your heart are not unique to you. They are the cries of an orphan. And when I speak them and you feel them, you know that now there's a, there's a part of you that can be spoken to that you didn't think could be before. And so I speak to that. And so I encourage you to come home because this is about being known and being loved and having purpose. The things that you desire deeply within you. So, how does an orphan get home? It's actually kind of funny how small the orphan's part is to me. So, let's go back to our orphan, our prodigal son, as we call him often. We, we run across him and here he is in the pig pen now. And I, can we stop and look at him, please? Um, isn't he a sight? Beautiful. Been working out in the fields with hogs, barely dressed, his clothes mainly in dirt and grime. You know that smell, right? You smell it. I, I'm a very olfactory oriented, so I, I do. I can smell him from here. He's there and he's crying. There's 
tears. You ever seen someone who's dirty cry and the tears just streak down? That's what's going on. He's ugly crying. It's ugly crying. (laughs) He is open. What does he do? You see, what the orphan usually does is sit in that pig pen and cry and feel sorry for the orphan. That's usually what the orphan does. And that's where most of the orphans in the world are today, sitting in the pig pen of their own making, regretting that they are there, unwilling to do anything to change the situation. Now we encounter that New Testament word that is so powerful and so easily confused, it's repentance. You see, because what happens in the orphan at this point is that our prodigal son gets up out of the pig pen and he walks home, and that is repentance. Repentance is a decision that produces an action. In fact, repentance is more action than it is decision in some ways. But the point is, you know that this young man has had a change because he gets up and he begins to walk home. Now think about all the things, for a second, that he's leaving behind. Because the big spender, the party guy, the player, the rich kid, whatever identity he tried on in his downward slide into this is still there in the pig pen. He leaves it all behind. Those identities are no more. And that's the key part of repentance. As long as your identity as what you are in this life is bigger than your identity as being a son of God, you can't repent. If you're like, I will be a Christian, but I will also be this or that, you're not ready yet. You don't understand how bad it is yet. Does that make sense? So repentance change is a change of mind that produces a change in direction and a change in action. And so this young man gets up and he walks home and leaves behind everything that's behind him. That was his part. So let's stop a minute and let's talk to ourselves. Let's come to the orphans in this room. What does coming home look like to you right now? And here's the thing. You probably already know. If you are struggling with your Father God, if you're struggling with faith, you're struggling where you are in life, struggling in any of the relationships in your life, you probably already know what to do. Our problem is seldom that we don't know what to do. Our problem is usually that we're not willing to do. So, I'm asking your heart a question, and you need to listen to your heart. Listen to the Holy Spirit. How do I get home? I know you've already been asking, how did I get here? <laughs> that question will only get you so far. I don't know what it looks like for you right now. I had some ideas while I was writing the message. For some of you, it, it might be having a conversation with somebody you've been putting off. For some of you, it might be coming clean about something that you've done or haven't done. For some of you, it might be about living a very public and vibrant faith instead of hiding it behind your normal life. For some of you, it might mean seeking out someone to pray for you and over you and pour into you. You know, one of the challenges we have on a Sunday morning is that God will speak to you. And you'll get a word. You will get a seed in you of his word. And then you'll slip out the door and it'll be gone before you get home. You know why? Well, he's got an enemy out there. He's all about stealing seeds. 
And the Bible tells us, or teaches us in the Word that we are supposed to protect and nurture those things we get from the Father. If I gave you a really expensive gift, you wouldn't just throw it over your shoulders. You walked out the door. You would treasure it. You would protect it. You would lock it up. You might, you might uh, if it was just something like a seed, you would plant it and nourish it. And that's why whatever God says to you today, get some help with it. Because you know you have an enemy who's going to try and take it. It might mean getting that help. Whatever it is, I believe you already know, at least most of you. And if you don't, we got a lot of staff and a lot of dedicated Christians around here who can pray with you until you do know. But here we are all together. Some of us are in our pig pens of our own making. Some of us are in different places in the journey. The point is, how do I get home? So the great thing about this is, that's the smallest part of this equation. The littlest piece is the only piece that is on you. You see, because there was something that the, the son, the orphan, did not know. The orphan's idea of father had to have been bad. He must have thought the father was harsh. Maybe the father was mean. Maybe the father had all these rules. Maybe the father was too religious. I don't know what his idea of the father was. All I know is that he demanded his inheritance, demanded his father be dead to him, and demanded to be out of the father's life. So there had to be some serious hate or distrust or misbelief about the father in the orphan's life. So he runs away from the father. So his idea of the father is the father's harsh. His idea of the father is the father would never have me as a son because I'm not worthy to be a son. Therefore, maybe he'll let me work in the house. This is his idea of the father. So this is the impression. He's walking away from the pig pen. All is lost. He's a nobody who's starving, has nothing, totally bankrupt, going home to father, doesn't even have his self-worth. Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. That's the voice echoing in his head, and he's walking home. And his father saw him a long way off. Think of the vagrant we talked about a while ago. Unkempt hair, covered in dirt, tear-streaked face, smells awful. That's the kind of guy that if you drove past him in Rock Springs, you would purposefully not see him. The unseen of our culture is who he was. But at some point he walked in the view and the father saw him. Father didn't see a homeless vagrant. He didn't see a guy covered in the dirt from the pig pen. He didn't see the nasty hair. He didn't smell the odor. He saw one thing. My son. That's what the father saw. And the father ran to the son. The father ran to the son. The son left the pig pen. The son started the journey home. It was a long walk home, I'm sure. But as soon as the son is in sight of the house, the father runs to the son. And it, it doesn't matter that he smelled awful, that he smelled like pigs, that he's covered dirt, and that there's, there's snot and there's tears running down his face. He cares about none of that. He cares only that it's his son. He embraces his son. He kisses his son. He hugs his son. He holds his son. He loves his son. That's what needs to happen to every orphan heart in this place. 
is to find the embrace of a father who is looking for you, looking for you, cares about you, loves you, wants to hold you, wants you in his life. This father at the end of the story is nothing close to the father that existed in the orphan's mind. In the orphan's mind, he was cruel, he had rules, he was tough. But the reality was that the Father was all compassion and all love and all giving and all caring. And that's the problem with the orphan heart. You will never know your Father as an orphan. And your Father wants to know you and you to know Him. I just think of the story and I just think that whole time, I mean from the day the orphan left home, while he's blowing the money and while he's being the player and while he's doing all this debauchery, the father's just waiting for his son to come home. And when the money runs out and he's totally ruined and nobody cares, the father cares. And he's waiting for his son to come home. And when the epiphany hits and that young man is sitting there in his own desolation made by his own choices, the father's waiting. God is nothing like you think. Even if you think he's good, you're not close to how good he is. Even if you know he's love, you have not yet tapped in to the greatness of his love. Paul said that was impossible, but it was, we should still try. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. While we were still sinners. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against you? Amen. I want to say this. I want you to remember it. I want you to talk about it. I, God is for you more than you will ever be for you. He is for you more than you will ever be. So, time for an awkward pause. I planned to send the message just to make it more awkward. I mean, you're in the story. We got father and son, hugs and kisses and snot and blood and whatever else. I don't know. It's a big old mess of love. It's almost like the son has to like push the father off for a second. So he can say what he'd been rehearsing in his head for the whole walk home. Like somehow, there's a magic word to make God like you. That's kind of what we think, isn't it? If I can just pray the right prayer, God's going to come through. When you don't realize that all the while, God's just coming through for you. So the father runs to meet him. All these wonderful things happen. Here's the son pushing him back. Father, no father, stop. Father, stop hugging me. Father, stop crying. I got something I got to say. Come on, Dad, back off. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. What I love about this, this is my favorite part of the story, is that the father does not respond to it with words at all. His response is, servants, Go get the nicest suit in the house. Kill the fatted calf. Let's party. That's his response. Son, why? Because the son had finally discovered 
something if he had known it in the beginning, we could have avoided all this. But sometimes the only way home is through the pig pen. And what he discovered was that he wasn't worthy. He just wasn't worthy. And, and you see, that's what is the main driver of the orphan spirit. They think they're worthy. They think they deserve. They think they should be in charge and in control of their life. They think all of these things. But when that son went out and saw what happens when he was God to himself, when he was father to himself, then he realized he wasn't worthy. And then he comes home and says, Father, I'm not worthy. And you know what father does? In a sense, by his actions, father says, this has never been about worth. This has never been about worth. This is about me being your father. This is about me giving you what is mine. This is about me loving you and lavishing my care and my concern upon you. This isn't about you. This is about me and you. Does that make sense? That's what the Father's at in your life. You are my son. You were my son when you were belligerent and asked me for inheritance and wished I were dead. You were my son when you were stupid. You were my son when you were trying to put your life back together. And you're still my son now, especially that you don't feel worthy to be my son. Change it all. So this is that awkward moment that turns into this beautiful lesson about how the father works. So I gotta, I'm almost done. I mean... I, I just got to say this because it's so cool. The father then asked the servants to do the things. They killed the fatted calf. And the text says, let the party begin. Father God likes to party. Okay. Maybe that meant more to me than you, but I'm going to say it one more time just in case. All right? Father God likes to party. John, Luke 15, 7. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't stepped away. Your Father celebrates your return home. So today, I think you may be in one of two places. I think some of you have never committed your life to Christ. I think that's a possibility. You've never stepped forward and had your defining moment. And I want you to say, we want to be here for that journey. We never, want to, we never intentionally say something to, in, to insult someone or hinder that journey when they're asking questions about God. We want to be there the whole length of it. But maybe today you realize your heart's an orphan. You've tried to be daddy to yourself. It's not working. So we're going to pray in a minute. I'm going to offer you a prayer you could pray to put a new line in the sand, leave your pig pen behind, and start living for Christ. And, and I'll be clear on this. A prayer doesn't save. A decision doesn't save. What saves is a decision that produces a life in pursuit of Christ. That's what saves. Okay? But there's also a lot of you guys, you've been saved, baptized. Some of you have gone to church. Like, you go a lot. Going to church makes you a Christian about like going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger is what Keith Green said. And maybe today, as I went through the pieces of an orphan spirit, and surely I could have popped open a few more, but you realized I'm really doing this alone. 
I'm really trying to be God in my situation. I'm trying to maintain control when he's the father. When you find yourself lost, come home. Let's bow our heads. If you have never placed your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. You don't have to do it out loud. It goes like this. Jesus, I surrender. I declare that you are Lord of my life and everything in it. I believe that you died for my sin. That my old wicked self died with you. And that by believing, I'm born again. If you prayed that in your heart, then you should wrap that prayer up by saying, Thank you, Jesus. That's a prayer to pray if you need to get this journey started. Here's a prayer to pray if you're on the journey and you're a little bit lost or a lot. Father, I'm so far from home. I need that slide, Hannah. I now declare that you... I'm so far from home. This isn't working out like I thought it would. I thought the world would give me what I wanted, but it's robbed me of so much. Father, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm not worthy. I'm willing to be just a servant. But either way, I'm coming home. I'm going to pray over you. And if you prayed either one of those prayers today, on my right, your left, we got some folks at our prayer tables. Don't leave here without getting someone to pray over you. Heavenly Father, you are Father. We don't know how much you're Father. We don't get it when Jesus says, pray our Father in heaven. But Lord, in this room, we all have these orphan places in us, these lonely places, these places where we're still God of our lives. And we need you to follow us. We need to walk out of what we were and leave behind what we, where we have been and walk into you. Father, would you love on these people, love on these orphan hearts? I know in the spirit what's happening right now is you are just weeping and crying and embracing orphan hearts in this room. I know this is happening. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand that. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand.